0: are in chapter three of the book of Ruth as we continue our journey through the series made for Mondays, finding God in the ordinary, finding God in the everyday. And like I promised you, if you were here last week, things are about to get weird. So are you guys ready to handle some weird today? I hope so. But first, let's look back and review where we've been in case you need to catch up, you need a refresher on the context of where we're at. But if you remember ruth she's a widow and she just so happens that's what the text says and it's like a coincidence that's not really a coincidence it's the providence of god that we see throughout this book of the bible and what is the providence of god well the way we defined it is that's when god uses natural circumstances to bring about and accomplish his supernatural will i love that definition And Ruth just so happens to work in a field belonging to a godly landowner, a guy named Boaz, a man of standing, who then asks her on, let's call it a date. And if we look at the text on their first date, I'm going to read a little bit into it, but it really looked like they connected. It was a a group date. They were with the workers, (laughs) and they talked for a little while. And he offered her more than she needed. And it seemed like they had good conversation between each other, so if I could kind of modernize that, I would say there were sparks. There was chemistry between the two of them. He made her laugh, she made him feel special, there was no awkward silence, they started finishing each other's sentences, like the butterfly feeling. And after a great first date, there was nothing. Like It was like Boaz ghosted her no follow-up call, no courtesy text, like, did you make it home okay? Like, he didn't follow her Instagram. So we're now at this place where Ruth is confused. Like, what's going on? Like, did I, did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Seven weeks of harvest actually go by, and the harvest is almost over. And she's scratching her head thinking, well, I was dirty. I was out in the field and sweaty. I wasn't my best. Maybe I was too forward but maybe I should have taken a shower. I kind of blew it. What did I do wrong? And so her mother-in-law, Naomi, she kind of steps into the conversation and says, Ruth, it's time to DTR. It's time to define the relationship. It's time to make things Facebook official. And this is sometimes the dreaded talk where a couple determines the level of commitment in the relationship. Like, are we just friends? Are we more than friends? Are we casual dating? Or are we exclusively dating? Sometimes those can be pretty awkward conversations. But then the very important follow-up question is if we're dating exclusively, do we go public on social media? And do we do a soft launch, do we do a hard launch? A soft launch would kind of be like we start like being in each other's photos. A hard launch is like you actually change your relationship status to in a relationship with and tag the person. And I still remember when I changed my relationship status with Amanda to in a relationship. And this was our cool photo from a date down in Washington. <laughs> and she didn't accept my relationship request for days, like maybe even a good week you didn't. And my friends were starting to say, hey, congrats on the relationship, but who's it with? Because Amanda's Facebook page says she's single. So, <laughs> DTR. It's time to define the relationship. The time will come in every relationship where there's a decision point. And what I want to do is I want to show you you through this story how to navigate this season wisely. So we're going to do it in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with your Bible app, feel free to go there now to Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And one of the reasons why it's great to get into the habit of opening your Bible when we're here gathered together as a church is because the more you do it here and you get used to it, the more likely you are to do it at home throughout the week. The Bible app is a great app too, which with some great devos and verses of the day. But here's how the story goes. Ruth chapter three, starting in verse one. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be provided for. So in Hebrew, that means we gotta find you a man, okay? So she said, now Boaz, this guy that provided for you, he's a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, what in the world does winnowing barley on the threshing floor mean? Well, let me show you a photo of a threshing floor. This here is the threshing floor. And it's a place that after the harvest you would go to and you would take the harvest and all that you had to this platform in the field. And then you would take everything kind of with like a pitchfork and throw it up in the air and the wind would then take away the shaft. And it would basically determine, here's how much good stuff you have. It would fall back to the ground, and all the other stuff will get blown away to the side. So here's what you can eat. Here's what you can sell. They were essentially throwing it up and determining how much profit they have. So now we're at the end of harvest, and we've got Boaz at the threshing floor, about to gather all of his workers. And what are they going to do? They're going to have a payday party. So everybody's getting paid because they're throwing it up. They're seeing what they have, and they're going to celebrate. So Naomi's thinking, okay, they're going to have a party tonight. So she starts to strategize. She's thinking, okay, Ruth, Boaz, is going to be there. He's going to be in a good mood. So here's what we're going to do. In verse 3, watch this. It's actually kind of funny. She says... Wash. (laughs) Like, great place to start. If you're wanting to have any kind of relationship whatsoever, just wash. Write it down. It's in the Bible. Take a bath. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And you see, she's thinking, last time you were a total mess, remember? The dirt in the fingernails, hair all ratty. So I want you to to show them your best glow up. I, I want you to get your best fit on, I want you to show up looking good. And then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until, until he has finished eating and drinking. And this is kind of funny. It's let him finish his chicken wings. You know, like he, all men are going to be happier after they finish eating. You can see the strategy behind this. Like, don't go in too soon. What I want you to do is I want you to get all dressed up. I want you to wait until he's had a few drinks. And then here's what I want you to do. And warning, this is now where it starts to get weird. Verse 4 says this, when he lies down, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Now, why is he going to lie down? He's lying down because he's going to sleep by his prophets. He doesn't want anybody to steal what he has earned. So he's going to sleep by it. And then when he's asleep, go uncover his feet and lie down. He will then tell you what to do. So Ruth is listening to her wise mother-in-law and says, I'll do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And this is weird advice, right? Like, who says go to the party, wait for him to catch a buzz, when he's in bed, sneak in and whisper to him, tell me what you want me to do? Like, weird. So I can't imagine giving this advice as a dad. So what in the world is Naomi doing? What is she advising? Sneak up by the bed, uncover his feet, wait for him. So as your pastor, I had to do some research on this text to uncover the spiritual meaning. And what I found out is there's actually differing opinions on what this could mean. So if you're ready for them, number one, they actually think that it could be a euphemism saying uncover more about him, like get to know him if you know what I mean, like a euphemism. Now, in my graduate opinion, <laughs> this one's dumb, but nevertheless, it's my opi- that's my opinion, and it's a theory. It, it's, it's a theory that some say, Naomi's telling Ruth to really get to know the man. I don't think that's it, so another theory suggests that Naomi is actually telling Ruth to be aggressive, do whatever it takes to get his attention, and that's kind of a theory that works. And that is kind of what she's suggesting. But other people would say that Naomi is saying, hey, trust in God's sovereignty and trust Boaz's integrity. We know he's a man of God. We know he's a man of standing. We know that he loves God. So just put yourself in the right place at the right time, and the right God will bring you the right man. Now, those are essentially the theories that we have to work with. So you can do with them what you will, but what we do know is that Naomi is suggesting that Ruth can be a little bit forward because why? Because this is her potential guardian redeemer. This is potentially the man that can help provide for her and protect her and be a spiritual covering over her. And so her mother-in-law is saying, hey, you might want to kind of give him a hint along the way. So... I'll be the first to admit that sometimes men, we need a little encouragement. Some of them, well, you might need a lot of encouragement. And the reason is, I'll let you in on a secret, is that we're actually very insecure. And some of you might say that ain't no secret. Well, let's just pretend like it is because it makes me feel better. But I used to be terrified to talk to girls. And then after you've been put in the friend zone for so long, you're kind of thinking like, oh, man, like, do I really, like, say anything? Like, so a signal always helps. It just a little bit of a signal is what we need sometimes. So that's what Naomi's saying to Ruth. So Ruth goes and lies down at his feet, and she's waiting by his bed. Now, I want to be very clear for a moment that this is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning that this is what happened in the Bible. This is not the Bible telling you what you should do. Like, okay, this is good. I need to go lay at the foot of this guy's bed. No. (laughs) So in my pastoral opinion, this isn't always the best plan, but I actually like that it's in the Bible because it just shows us that the Bible has real stuff in it. The Bible includes stuff where people don't always get it right. Sometimes they do dumb things or really, really dumb things. And I like that it's in there because... I haven't always gotten things right. I've done some really, really dumb things, even though Jesus is my absolute foundation. But it's an example of how encouraging scripture can be because what I love is this, even if you don't get it right, God can still make it right. Even if you don't do everything by the book all the time, our God is still working. Our God is good. So take a moment to remember that you serve a God who's a redemptive God. He's a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. He's a God who works in all things and to take, and he can take the places that we break things and he can actually make them better than new. Now, this doesn't give you permission to be dumb, but it's an encouragement that even when we are dumb, God is still good. So are you encouraged? I hope so. I hope you're encouraged because the story is about to get weirder. So here we go again. Verse 7, 8, and 9. When Boaz has finished eating and drinking, he he was in good spirits. So what do you think that means? He was in a really good mood, good chicken wings, good beer, whatever. He's in good spirits. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, and Ruth, smelling good and looking good, uncovered his feet and lay down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man probably the woman at the foot of his bed. And he turned, and there she was, lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And again, a reminder on what a guardian redeemer is. It's a relative who had the responsibility and privilege to provide for a family member in time of need. So what would happen is if there was a widow whose husband had died, the husband's brother, assuming he had one, would have the spiritual responsibility to provide for and protect the widow. But as we know, her husband died and his brother also died. But this is the role of a guardian redeemer. So it goes down the line. So Boaz is a potential guardian redeemer, But this is very important. He's a distant guardian redeemer, meaning he's not the closest. So he doesn't actually have a legal right or an obligation to provide for her. So here we see what's going on. She says, hey, would you cover me up? Would you be my guardian redeemer? And many scholars would say that she's saying, would you be my spiritual covering? Would you be my redeemer? And some people say she's proposing And is she actually proposing to him? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But she is being forward. You could say she's not proposing, but she's encouraging him to propose. Believe it or not, sometimes we need that nudge. (laughs) After Amanda and I were engaged, my cousin decided it was time for her to get engaged because she had been dating the guy for five years, and Amanda and I had been dating for eight months. And I still remember she started going around, booking the venue, booking the month, booking the whole bit, and she wasn't even engaged yet, but luckily her now husband got the hint and was like, okay, I think it's time I need to propose. That's kind of what what Ruth is doing here. And so again, along the way, sometimes you have to help each other out to move things forward. So Boaz is in good spirits. She's by his bed. She grabs the covers, and what does she do? She stays the night with Boaz. So did they have sex that night? No. No. They didn't. And I'll show you why in a moment, which raises one of the most important questions that people ask during dating when it comes to physical interaction. It's, the question is, how far is too far? Like I remember with my buddies, we'd always be talking as young Christian guys, like, what are the rules? What, what are the boundaries? Like, What are the bases? What, what base am I allowed to go to? What's legal? What's not legal? And this is what people tend to ask. We want to know how close to the line we can get without stepping over it. How far is too far? Well, let me give you a verse in the Bible that really gives us some good insight into what the Bible, where the line actually falls. So in the Song of Solomon 8.4, it tells us this. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to, let's say this aloud together, not to awaken love until the time is right do not awaken love until the time is right so how far is too far well let's pretend we're all adults here for a moment it means when your body awakens when your body prepares for sex and if you're confused i'm not going to say anymore talk to the person sitting next to you but the point is at that point you've gone too far and so, a wise person, if they want to honor God with their purity, isn't going to get as close to the line as possible, but we're actually going to put some safety measures in place. We're going to stay away from the line. But we do this all the time. But when we get our driver's license, one of the things we learn, at least one of the goals, should be not to crash, right? Like, I don't know anyone who says, okay, let's see how close we can get to these guardrails. Let's see how quick we can crash. No, it's not to crash. So I don't say as I'm driving down Highway 56, I wonder how close I can get to oncoming traffic. And like, oh, that was pretty close. No, we stay away. Sometimes if a car comes too close to us, it it scares us. So if we're wise and we want to honor God with sexual purity, instead of getting as close as we can to the line, we want to create some margin and we want to stay away from the line. So the Bible says, do not awaken love until the time is right. Well, when's the time right? Well, the, the time for sex is in the covenant of marriage. And you might be thinking, but Kev, that's so old-fashioned and so out of touch. Well, maybe it is old-fashioned, but we have to understand that, that sex represents the union when two people become one flesh, not to be separated because of the covenant that God has created. So if you want to do what everyone else does, do what everyone else does. And if you want what everyone else does, you'll likely have what everyone else has. But if you want something better, you might do something different. I have to keep coming back to this, is that sometimes when people challenge me on different theological positions, I just keep coming back to Jesus, and I keep saying, Jesus shows us a better way. Yeah, but can I do this? Well. Yeah, you can do that, but Jesus shows us a better way. Well, can I get away with this? If you want to get away with that, but Jesus shows us a better way. So what does Boaz do? Boaz treats Ruth honorably. She's at the foot of his bed, and he doesn't push her to have sex. He respects her purity, and I'll show you why. Verse 11 says this, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. You want me to be your guardian redeemer? My answer is yes, I'll do it. And all the people of my town will know that you are a woman of noble character. So I'm going to let them know that you've done the right thing, that I've done the right thing, and that we're both honoring God. So this is the good news. Ruth has hinted, or more than hinted, that she's available. She declares her love for Boaz, and he's all in. He's ready to go. So now do they get married and live happily ever after? Not yet. Not yet. Because the problem is in Ruth 3 verse 12, we see Boaz explain, although it's true, I'm a guardian redeemer of our family. There's another who is more closely related than I. In other words, I'm not the closest relative. And therefore, there's someone else we need to go to first. So he says, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if this other guy wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, then we're going to let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as sure as the Lord lives, I will do it. So here we have an obstacle. There's another relative who has the legal right to be her guardian redeemer. Now, we're going to foreshadow what we're going to talk about next week, because next week gets fun. This week, weird. Next week, fun. But we're going to watch as Boaz schemes very wisely and very shrewdly to overcome this obstacle, and we're going to see a principle that I love, that if he'll do what it takes to get you, he'll do what it takes to keep you. And we're going to watch him do what it takes to win her, and it's really fun, and I can't wait to share that with you next week. But let's summarize what we've seen this week because I want to bring these big thoughts into a manageable summary. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring this text home. So five lessons that we're learning this week, let's look at them. The first one is it's often wise to put yourself in the right place to increase the odds of meeting the right person. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, if you want to meet someone who's a follower of Jesus, it's probably better to go to a life group than to go to the party you've been invited to. Sometimes it makes me laugh when I talk to people and they're like, man, I just can't find the right person. I'm going to all these clubs and I'm, I'm like, well, you're not going to find the type of person you're looking for at the type of places you're going. If you're a follower of Jesus, we have to be where other followers of Jesus will be in order to increase the odds of being with the right kind of person. And the next one's fun, especially if sometimes you're sitting next to someone who's kind of special, and don't overlook those who are right in front of you. Oftentimes there's someone right in front of you that God may do something special if you'll open up your eyes and just see who's there. And we saw that in Ruth and Boaz's case. Another principle is sometimes you may have to go after what you want. And I'm so glad that Amanda went after what she wanted, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. I had to put in some pretty hard work there to show that I was a man of standing. But moving on, if you don't get it right, God can still make it right. For some of you, this is his word for you today. Even in your marriage right now, there are some things that are not where they should be, and maybe you've built it on a foundation that wasn't as strong as you thought it should be or it could have been, and even if you didn't do it all right, God is a redemptive God. He's a forgiving God. He's a gracious God. He's working in all things to bring them together for good for those who love love Him and are called according to His purpose. He can make all things right. And finally, if you want a marriage that honors God in the future, live a life that honors God today. Don't wait until later, one day when we're married, one day when we have kids, then we're going to serve Jesus. No, be faithful to him today. That was one of my biggest wake-up calls when God grabbed a hold of my life, because I kept saying, okay, once, once I have a family, then I'll start serving in the church. Once, once I make a bit more, once, well, I lived on my own, had my own car, had my own motorbike. Like, I had all the time in the world, but I was so distant from Jesus. If you want a marriage that honors God in the future, live a life that honors God today. So let's summarize and bring this home. Spiritually, we see Boaz, he wants to be her guardian redeemer, but... He wasn't obligated to care for her in that fashion because he wasn't a brother to her husband, and she was a Moabite, not even from Bethlehem. But because he loved her, what did he do? He chose to make a sacrifice for her. And here's what's incredibly powerful. Because of Ruth's one decision, Week one, she chose to leave Moab, return to Bethlehem because of her one decision and Boaz's one decision to commit to her, to pursue her, to provide for her, to protect her as a guardian redeemer. Because of her decision and his decision, that led them to a covenant of marriage, which resulted in a son named Obed. And from the lineage of Obed came our guardian redeemer, Jesus the Son of God, who's our Savior, who's our King, who's our Lord. And in the same way, Jesus wasn't obligated to give His life for you, but because of His love, He chose to be stripped of heavenly glory, become a Lamb of God, who shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. And after He gave His life, He did not stay dead. God raised Him from the dead so that anyone including you doesn't matter what you've done anyone who calls on him would be saved and this is what i love about the story of ruth is that it takes this messy situation and it brings about our savior jesus is your guardian redeemer his door is open his heart is for you he's telling you come to him and so it's time for a little dtr It's time to define the relationship. Who is Jesus to you? Like, really, is he just a cool historical figure? Is he some guy you kind of read about? You've got a casual commitment. Come to church when you can, if the weather's not good, or there's no game on. Or is Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, your King? Because see, my fear, and I don't know how else to say this, but my fear as a pastor is that some of us, many of us, are just like I used to be, where I was going to church, I was going through the motions, but he wasn't my first priority. He wasn't first in my life. We were not in a relationship. He was not my Lord. He was just some guy. And the guy up here would talk about this guy named Jesus, but I was about... 18 inches apart from him, You mean, meaning it was in my head. I understood. I had all the knowledge of Jesus, but I didn't know him in my heart. Jesus didn't come to make you religious. He came to have a relationship with you. He didn't come to to get you to join a church. He came to set you free. He didn't come to make you follow a bunch of rules. He came to give you life and life to the full. His name is Jesus. His name is above every other name. He is King, He is Savior, He's Redeemer, He's Lord, He's the Lamb of God, He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and He's coming back one day. But He wants to know you today, and He wants you to know Him. So let's define the relationship. Who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. God, do a work in us today that only you can do. As we pray this morning, with nobody looking around, I just wonder how many of you need prayer for your relationship or maybe for your parents or for a potential relationship. Maybe you need prayer to bring about healing in a relationship. I just wonder how many of you would like to pray for a relationship today, some significant relationship in your life. If, if that's you, would you just lift up a hand right now? You're simply saying, yes, I want to pray for a relationship. Here's what I want you to recognize before we pray, is that you could be one decision away from seeing it change one decision confessing a sin deciding to apologize to start deciding to start praying together deciding to make church not something you do occasionally but something you commit to deciding to get counseling deciding to break up if your dating relationship is not honoring god or to change it and make it honor god one decision so father i pray today for the relationships that need your touch for the relationships that need your power, your healing. I pray for marriages, God, that are broken and need healing. We thank you that you are a healing God. And God, I pray for those longing for a godly relationship. I pray for those who are dating and need your help, your direction. Give them wisdom to make the decisions that would honor you. Thank you that you are a good God. Jesus, you care more about our relationships than we could ever imagine, and we submit them to you. And as we keep praying today for someone here, this might be your most important decision. Who is Jesus? If he is who he says he is in scripture, the son of God who gave his life so you could know him, you got to deal with that. Your only reasonable response is to say, take all of me, be first, be everything, be my Lord, be my Savior. Anything else is lukewarm. So today, if you're saying, that's me, I've messed up, I'm in a bad place, just come as you are. Come to him as you are. You don't need to clean up first. Just come to him. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who died and rose again so you could be forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done when you call on him. He hears your prayers. He forgives your sins, and he will make you brand new. So if you're saying, okay, God, no more playing around, no more halfway. Today, by faith, I declare that you're my king, you're my savior, I need you. Would you forgive me? Be the Lord of my life. Take this moment to step away from your sin and surrender your life to Jesus. If that's your prayer today, just lift your hand now to say, that's my prayer. I need Jesus to be first in my life. So as a church, we pray, Heavenly Father, forgive our sins. Help us to continue to put you first. Save us, change us, fill us with your spirit. My life is not my own. I give it all to you. You are my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Thank you for new life as I give you all of mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.